0: They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? The Peter
0: Schiff Show. Well, hi ho, silver seems to be the rallying cry for the day. You know, the last podcast that I recorded, I talked about the breakout in silver, and I actually regretted the fact that I didn't get a chance to talk about silver. During my CNBC interview, I had meant to say something about it, but it slipped my mind. But on the last podcast, I mentioned how strong silver had been looking, and it held up extremely well in the gold sell-off of the prior few days. And sure enough, we have a big breakout again today. Silver. Now, I'm recording this uh, a little before 1 o'clock in the eastern time zone here on Tuesday. And so silver's pulled back below 17 But earlier this morning, it was up you know, about $0.85 cents or so. Silver was above $17. That was the first time it's been above $17 all year. As I'm recording right now, it's at $16.88. So it's only up $0.68. Cents. Gold's up $21.50 right now, back at $12.54. But gold's still well below the highs. I mean, gold needs to rally about $30.00 to get back to its high for this move, but silver made a new high today. And I mentioned on the last podcast that I thought the strength in silver uh, was a good uh, leading indicator for both gold and silver. And I talked about all these guys that had been shorting silver. That had been a popular trade when the gold-to-silver ratio was breaking down against silver Uh, some people decided that they would try to short that move, which I thought made no sense. Uh, To me, it was a much better trade to buy silver when it's been as cheap as it's ever been relative to gold. I still like both metals. But this is good constructive action. In fact, the gold stocks are at new highs for the year, even though uh, gold itself, again, still needs to go up $30. Uh, The GDX, as I'm speaking, is up 4% on the day, it's above 23. This is the high for the year. The, the juniors, GDXJ, that index is up over 6% today today. This is a new 52-week high for the DGXJ. So now we're starting to see silver outperform gold. We're starting to see the small mining stocks outperforming the senior mining stocks. We are now kicking in to another leg up of this market. I wonder how much longer Goldman Sachs is going to be able to hang on to their short position. Uh, When are they going to capitulate here? The dollar, Back down. The dollar index today, again, trading below 94. It's back up at 94 now as I speak, but we were below 94 earlier in the day. The dollar is weak across the board against all the currencies except the yen, which is backing off slightly. But the dollar is weak against the European currencies. It's weak against the Canadian dollar. And by the way, the Canadian dollar had a huge recovery from the lows Sunday night, Monday morning when that OPEC meeting or that, you know fell apart. And, you know, there was a lot of speculation that was going to fall apart. Nobody seemed to believe that they would get a meeting, uh, get an agreement. And it turned out they didn't get an agreement. I actually thought maybe they would do something since hardly anybody believed they would. But what was interesting is that oil prices did r- rally into the meeting, even though nobody believed that they would come to any kind of agreement. And when they didn't come to an agreement, oil prices sold off. But then we had a huge rally. Oil was down about two bucks Sunday night. And it only closed down slightly on uh, on Monday. And it's up over a buck today. Uh, so oil is now back above $42 a barrel. And oil oil stocks are screaming. So not only are gold stocks going up big, oil stocks going up big, the dollar down on the lows for the year. It's not at a new low, but it's touching it. And in the meantime, as I'm recording this, again, it's still before 1 in the afternoon. The NASDAQ in the U.S. is down 43 points. We're almost down one full percent in the NASDAQ. The carnage is not nearly that bad in the Dow. The Dow is only down about 18. But earlier this morning, the Dow was up about 100. Uh, so the Dow was going up with oil. It was going up with gold. But now the Dow and the, and the Nasdaq are down, but oil's still up. Gold is still up. The dollar is the only thing that's still down. And I think it's going a lot lower. You no, know, I thought that the Atlanta Fed might have come out with a downward revision to its first quarter GDP estimates. Because you remember, they upwardly revised it to 03 like a week ago, from 0.1, despite all this bad news that came out that they didn't have when they had it at 0.1, and then they got all this bad news and they rose it to 0.3. Well, since they've done that, since they went up to 0.3, we've got more bad news. So I thought, okay, maybe they're going to go back down to zero or something, but they stayed at 0.3. The bad news we got today was on the housing starts for March, and March was really warm, by the way. Uh, and so that should have helped with housing starts. They were looking uh, for 1.167 million, and instead they got 1.089 million. That was a huge drop, like an 8.8% decline. That's a big drop. And they were not looking for anything like that. And in permits, they were looking for permits to go up, right? They were looking for, to go up from 1.167 to 1. 1.2. Instead, they went down to 1.086. So not only a big drop in starts, but a big drop in permits. We're going to get more data on housing tomorrow, getting existing existing uh, existing home sales. Uh, but this is pretty bad news. I, I would have thought that that alone might have caused the Atlanta Fed to take a you know a couple of points off uh, that GDP estimate. But they didn't. Also, you know, nobody really talks about this uh, Red Book uh, year over year same store sales. I watch it every week. As it comes out, they never even write about it. The lowest it's ever been since I've been following it, and this goes back for a few years, was an increase of 0.6 year over year. And that's not adjusted for inflation, right? That's just that actual number. Well, today, the, the last week, we're down at 0.5. 0.5. That's the lowest we've been, I think, since 2008, 2009. We've just broken down to new lows for year over year same-store sales. So all this data is coming out that indicates that the consumer is in a lot of trouble. And you, and you can see that everywhere. And if consumer spending, unfortunately, is 70% of GDP, how can so many people still be so optimistic? In fact, we had some Fed governors out just the other day talking about how the markets are too pessimistic on the Fed's rate hikes. You know, pe- the, the markets don't believe that the Fed's going to raise rates as often as we're probably going to do it. I mean, are these guys for real? I mean, how, where are they coming up with this stuff? I mean, we, we can see the economic data. I mean, if the Fed was so gun ho about raising interest rates, why don't they just do so? You know, if they really want to prove the markets are too pessimistic on how high they're going to raise rates, then raise rates and prove the market's wrong. The reality is the market isn't pessimistic enough because they still think rates are going to go up. But these central bankers have to pretend because they want to pretend the economy is strong. That's what it's all about. You can't pretend the economy is strong unless you're pretending you're going to raise rates. Because if you admit you're not going to raise rates, then, in fact, you're admitting that the economy is too weak uh, to, to support higher rates. Now, kind of a big story that came out, uh, I think it came out on Friday, but it was after I recorded my podcast. So I didn't have a chance to address it, but I did post something on my website. And that has to do with Saudi Arabia threatening threatening the United States because there is a bill uh, before Congress. and both Bernie Sanders and uh, Hillary Clinton. and by the way, today is a New York primary. And I know Bernie's been gaining on uh, on Hillary. It'll be hard to beat her. I mean, even though Bernie was born in Brooklyn and he's got the New York accent and he's Jewish, uh, Hillary, you know, I mean, this is her town, right? She was a senator from New York. Uh, and so it's almost like her home state, even though they're you know she's from Arkansas, but she's kind of adopted New York, and you know she's such she's so buddy buddy uh, with everybody on Wall Street. And by the way, you know I, I, the the refusal of Hillary Clinton to release those transcripts of her speeches, where she was paid upwards of a quarter of a million dollars a pop, right to give a speech to give speeches to companies like Goldman Sachs. I mean, I'm sure that when you pay somebody a quarter million dollars to give a speech. They, they don't chastise you during that speech. They don't vilify you and scapegoat you. If anything, they probably talk about you know, how much they like you and admire you and how uh, it's unfair, all the criticism you're getting. I'm sure that Hillary Clinton uh, was uh, very, very flattering and very uh, sympathetic to Wall Street when she's speaking to Wall Street. I mean, that's what... That's what politicians are. They're like chameleons, right? They just, they're whatever color their audience is, right? They're always uh, kissing up to whoever's there, especially when you want contributions. I'm sure she wants a lot of campaign contributions. And she is scared out of her mind to have this come out during the, the primary. See, if it comes out during the general election, it's no big deal, right? But the problem is she doesn't want it coming out while she's still got to worry about Bernie Sanders because this information will prove that she's not, as hard on Wall Street as she's pretending, which to me is not a bi- as big a problem as it would be to your typical Democratic voter, uh, because she's trying to pretend that, oh, yeah, I've been trying to rein in Wall Street. and Wall Street is terrible and I'm really going to I'm really going to come down on Wall Street. So she doesn't want she doesn't want these. Um, Uh, These transcripts being released. But that could be a big issue because obviously she looks completely ridiculous not releasing them, claiming claiming that, well, I'm not going to release them until all of the candidates running on the Republican side release all the transcripts for all their speeches, which, of course, this has nothing to do. With the fact that she's running against Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders says, "Well, I'll you know he's releasing his uh, his his transcripts." But I don't know how I I, I digressed of that conversation, but the point was that, that the primary is today, and so both uh, Hillary and Bernie are in favor of this bill. And what this bill is is it allows the victims of 9/11 family members to sue Saudi Arabia, right? Or more particularly, right all the the, the kings or the royal family of the House Assad that run that, that kingdom to sue them for damages from September 11th, because that's probably where the money came from. That's where the the attacks emanated. It was never Iraq. I mean, that was just an excuse that the Bush administration used to go into, into Iraq, if anything. And there was a big 60 minute story on this, too, that's kind of uh, stoking the fire here. But if anything... Uh, The country probably most responsible for September 11th, other than the United States, uh, but the the foreign country most responsible for it would maybe be Saudi Arabia. And of course, our legal system, can you imagine being able to sue if one of the victims of 9-11, obviously very sympathetic, a mother, small children, lost her husband, she goes into a U.S. court suing some Saudi prince, right, a Saudi king because she lost her her husband you think an american court is not going to award a huge judgment to this american widow against some foreign you know monarch in saudi arabia so this bill would allow americans to sue which of course if they could sue they're going to win right i mean i mean that that i mean people win much crazier lawsuits than that in fact maybe the saudis actually are liable maybe they should be held uh, responsible and should pay uh, pay the family members uh, pay the city of New York, pay for all the cost to pay, you know, pay the insurance companies who had to repay to build uh, Freedom Tower, whatever. There could be all kinds of liability, but what happened was Saudi Arabia came out and said, "Wait a minute, if that bill gets approved, that that bill gets passed into law, we are going to dump our U.S. treasuries, and that is an enormous uh sledgehammer that they're having that they're holding over the heads of the United States, and that is why." President Obama has come out and he has opposed this. President Obama is not going to allow this to become law. Why? Because he's president. He does not want the Saudis to put the hammer down while he's still in office. Could you imagine if they followed through with that threat? You're talking about almost a trillion dollars. And it's not just U.S. Treasuries. It might be other U.S. dollar assets because the Saudis don't want to have any assets over which the United States courts are going to have jurisdictions. Right, because if you're if you if you're Saudi and you have money in U.S. Treasuries and some American wins this huge lawsuit against you, well, that you know they can freeze those assets. The courts have have jurisdiction over that. But if the Saudis dump uh, their Treasuries, then the U.S. government doesn't have authority, especially if they take those Treasuries and they buy gold, they buy you know stuff like that. I mean, there's no way we can we we can grab that as long as they're not dumb enough to store it at the New York Fed. And I'm sure they wouldn't do that. So the Saudis want to protect themselves from these judgments. See, right now, they've got some kind of sovereign immunity. You can't sue them, so they're not worried. But this bill would basically allow anybody who has a loss right, to sue, and, and now the Saudis have to come into an American courtroom. Right? they got to pay for the legal bills alone. Right? They don't even want to worry about it. See, they're not worried about a judgment if we have no leverage over them, but we have leverage over them, If they own U.S. treasuries. And so what they're threatening to do is that, hey, if you're going to pass that bill, then we are going to dump those treasuries fast so that we don't have them uh, when these lawsuits are filed. And, of course, um, Sanders and Clinton see politically it's terror. How could you go against this politically? How could you not allow victims of the terrorist attack to sue the Saudis? How could you not allow politically it'd be the kiss of death? So. Hillary is is all for it. And Sanders, everybody's going to be for it, except the president, because the president is the one that would actually have to deal with the consequences. He's not up for reelection. So that's not a problem for him. But what would be a problem for him would be an implosion of our economy because the Saudis crashed it. And I'm sure Hillary Clinton, that might be their unspoken deal. Hey, look, Brock, you make sure this thing doesn't pass, but I'll publicly go out and I'll say I'm for it. But make sure it doesn't pass, because if it if this gets passed and the Saudis do dump those treasuries and the entire U.S. economy crashes, I've got no hope of becoming president. Right. We're just handing the election to Donald Trump. And and, and so that's probably the deal that they've got. But what should have been bigger news? I mean, this, there were stories out there. But the fact that Saudi Arabia has so much leverage that they're basically the puppet master and we're the little puppet and, you know, they can pull the strings because they have all this debt. And it's funny that I read some of these articles about it, and they were all from the perspective of how this would hurt Saudi Arabia if they had a dump out of our treasuries. Like, you know, they're going to lose these great treasury bills. You know, it, the best thing that can happen to Saudi Arabia is that they dump U.S. Treasure. They should dump U.S. treasuries regardless of whether or not we pass this bill. They're not benefiting by holding those treasuries. We're benefiting by the fact that we're we're holding those treasuries. Now, you can argue that the quid pro quo here is they hold our treasuries and we use our military to protect their kingdom uh, from their enemies. I mean, so in a way, you know, we're selling our military power, which that I don't object to. I just would rather have it done a bud board. I mean, that's one of the other things that Donald Trump says that I agree with. He says that we should be invoicing uh, Europe or Japan or Saudi Arabia for the cost of protecting them, and I 100% agree. We should be invoicing them, and if they don't want to pay for it, we should pull out the troops. If they want the protection, they should pay for it. But I don't like it being done, you know, in these secret ways. That well, we'll own your treasury bonds, and you know, you you uh, you promise uh, uh, to protect us. I don't think that's the way these relationships should be going. But the point is that so many people look at this situation of Saudi Arabia dumping treasuries. And thinking that it's a problem for Saudi Arabia. No, it's not. It's a problem for America. Who's going to buy those treasuries? I don't know. China doesn't want them. China's selling. Nobody else can afford them. The Japanese aren't going to buy them. Who's going to buy them? The Federal Reserve is going to buy them. Where are they going to get the money? They're going to have to print it. So we'd have to do a massive QE program just to accommodate all the treasuries that the Saudis wanted to unload. Then what would happen to the Fed's balance sheet? I mean, just the talk of this could be one of the reasons uh, for the catalyst for the new this recent rally in the price of silver and the price of gold. It could be a reason for the recent dumping of the dollar and the rise of the price of oil, even though the Saudis theoretically were threatening. To, to pump even more oil. I mean, that's what happened when these talks broke down because basically Iran wasn't playing ball, right? Iran says, look, we don't want to cut production. You know, we had all these sanctions for all these years, so we need to produce as much as we can. And so the Saudis were saying, okay, well, we can produce even more. You, you, you want, you, is this what you guys want to do, right? They're trying to flex their muscle as to how much oil they can produce. Like they can, they can ramp it up even more. So despite Saudi Arabia threatening to flood the world with oil, right, to get back at the other OPEC members, right, the price of oil is going up. So something else is going on here. And again, as I've said, the real reason for the oil price decline and now increase is the dollar. And the dollar is going down. And one of the reasons that the dollar could be going down is because people take this threat seriously from the Saudis to dump treasuries. But also the fact that they just make the threat puts the possibility – back on the front burner, people start to think about it. People start to think about how vulnerable the U.S. economy is to its creditors. you know, And what would we do if the Saudis did try to dump their treasuries? And of course, we wouldn't let them just dump them on the market and crash the price because that would mean interest rates would skyrocket. And we can't do that especially with our weak housing market. So obviously, they're going to have to monetize that to keep those bonds off the market, to keep them from crashing the market. And so that means a lot of money printing, and that means a weak dollar. And that means a higher gold price and a higher oil price. And that's exactly what is happening today. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shift silver.com.